human beings of the world, it's time to enter the spoilerverse through our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with John and Kendrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on scpod.net. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us, leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. United Armies of the Spoilerverse, welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show. <laughs> well, it's Keith Tucker, isn't it? It is. It is. It is animation artist extraordinaire Keith Tucker. Yeah. You might not know who Keith Tucker is. But you or, know who Keith Tucker is. Yeah. You might not know who he is, but you know who he is. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're our age um, of, you know. Some, but people that maybe remember cartoons from the eighties, like or nineties too, like, may, maybe even some from the late seventies, <laughs> right? I mean, if you watched, I don't know, Animaniacs or X Men or literally any other cartoon that came out in that thirty forty year time span, yeah, the guy is a part of everything. He has some really interesting things to talk about. It's it's kind of crazy. Like a lot of those guys that that did a lot of storyboarding, like he did, they weren't allowed to keep their storyboards. That's so crazy. That's bullshit. Yeah. yeah. That is total bullshit. And, you know, they could take a Xerox copy of it. What? Ugh. What? Ugh. It's their you art, know? man. Yeah. yeah. And he's pretty funny. He does a lot of voices during the interview just because it's all stuck in his head and he's got to get him out. Right, right. And it's kind of funny. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this. Yeah, this is with uh, our man, our, uh, our well, not man on the street. This is with uh, with Big Hoss. Yeah. Big Hoss took the reins and uh, went to town on this one and did a good job. Yeah, so uh, why don't we go and listen to Keith Tucker in his own words? Let's do this. Hello, this is Jeff Haas, pitching for Spoiler Country. Today, we today with us we have the, a true legend in the world of animation, Mr. Keith Tucker. Hello, Mr. Tucker. Hello. We are uh, Hello Spoiler Country. <laughs> I'm very excited to have you. You um, I'm sure you've heard it a thousand times, but you basically have done storyboards for my entire childhood. <laughs> you know, that never gets old. Uh, it's it really it's a heartwarming feeling. How, how many times a day do you hear that from someone? Hey, you drew my childhood. Well, not too much in the house. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you hear all day at conventions. Oh, all day. All day. <laughs> uh, it's cool. I mean, you know, I had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, it reminds me when I uh, met Paul McCartney. Oh, he, wow. uh, he wanted to meet me. And I was sitting there having tea with him and Linda and, and their family. And, you know, I just go, I can't believe I'm here with you. And, and, and you know, you meant so much to me growing up and your music and <laughs> And his answer is exactly what mine is today. It's like we were having fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that that must be amazing. I mean, so 
it, it, what does it feel like to know that the people that you look up to turn around and idolize you? I, I don't know that. I, I, there maybe some. I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure there's yeah, tons put of people. Me on the spot. Oh, sorry about that. But like I said, I'm sure there's tons of people who know um, a series or watch a series that you are part of. I mean, the list is extremely long. Well, I had quite a few decades in the biz, and uh, anywhere from live action work like John Carpenter's The Thing to uh, He-Man and She-Ra and, and uh, Pinky and the Brain. So well, the first thing I guess I, I want to ask ask you that maybe the, or the listeners may or may not know, but to clarify for them, since you've been predominantly a storyboard artist, can you tell us what does a storyboard artist do? Well, it's kind of like a comic book penciler. You know, you, you get a typewritten script and you visualize what happens. So I, I have to set the stage. I have to act out the characters uh, and the environment. I'm, I'm making a piece of film. So I'm a filmmaker slash cartoonist. And, um, but I, I have the benefit of the characters have been designed. Uh, the incidental characters have been generally been designed. Backgrounds have generally been designed and uh, a typewritten script. So, but I have my own rhythm of cutting what story points, how to visualize st those story points, uh, and and move the story forward and 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 make it fun and exciting and or silly and crazy. So Depending on what kind of show you're working on. I love your voices. <laughs> I heard you do it in another interview. That was fantastic. Well, they're stuck in my head and I can't, they just have to get out. <laughs> so when you're, when you're doing the storyboards, are you hearing the characters in your head? Are you doing your, the voices out loud? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also, uh, uh, towards the end, we, we had uh, a lot of uh, tracks, audio tracks from the, you know, the uh, actors like especially like at Warner Brothers and Disney, we always had the tracks to work from. Uh, sometimes they would come when we're midway into the board, and then we have to go back and make changes to reflect the audio. Um, early on, we didn't have the tracks too much. So when you're doing your storyboard, are you prim primarily listening to the, the vocal work, or are you starting from a script, or is it more like a plot outline? Uh, it's generally a full script that's supposed to be written to length. However, well, they also allow for a certain amount of uh, overage to allow for if you have some bad animation to because it's shipped overseas, they want to cut some stuff out. So there is some padding. And sometimes we get scripts that are on the mark or... Uh, they're overwritten or they're underwritten. And if they're underwritten, you you really have to create new material to to make it work. Now, do you have to run that by the director of the uh, cartoon or movie? Or is, do you have control like that, that you can make that decision um, yeah, on your own? Yeah, it, it depends uh, it, uh, what time period you're talking about. In the past, way past, um, it was just a matter of doing it within your roughing you always rough out your storyboard then you have a meeting with your director and then you do your finals you know cleanup is what we called it which is penciling or uh, tight pen, tighter pencils or inks um there was a time when uh 
and, and they wanted everything inked because uh, the networks seemed to respond better to a very pretty storyboard as opposed to a rough one. They didn't fully understand what they were looking at, so they asked a lot more questions. But if you have it very tight and easy to understand and looks like a comic book, then they're like, oh, yeah, we like that. So, so why, why, why was there a change later on? You said they did a different style nowadays. Well, that was when that that you had networks approving. You know, network. You had to get network approval. You have to go be submitted to standards and practices for what's in the storyboard, what's in the cartoon before it goes to air. Gotcha. And if they have things they don't like, they want to tell you. When you're um, first approaching that your script for the first time, you're first seeing it. What, like, how are you approaching? It? What's going through your mind when you want to move it to the story? But what are you looking for? What, um, what kind of things are like your key ideas? Well, I do a complete read through, so I have a good idea of what you know where I'm going. I, I start seeing the film in my head, so that I can put it down on paper and. Uh, you, you have, like I mentioned, story points. You need to be able to recognize that there's a key thing that the audience needs to know about. And uh, you, you want to figure out how to, the best angle to sell that. And, uh, or if it's an action sequence, you want to know ultimately what's going to happen. Um, uh, along, back on Transformers, um, we would get scripts that would say uh, the Transformers and the Decepticons uh, face off and battle ensues, and you pretty much had to just make it all up. So it depends on how tightly the script is written out or not. Gotcha. To use a movie analogy, for people to better understand what you do, are you closer to the director or the cameraman? Um, I never meet with the cameraman. Um it's with the director and the director who um, decides the final what will how would it all go. The director has to time it, you know, figure out how long each scene is. And uh, it scenes aren't always covered by the dialogue. So what, what do you do in, in those cases? Uh, you add a foot or a foot and a half, depending. Um, there a lot of times, like if there's an action there'd be a thing on the script that would call for Wallace. And what that is are ad-libs from the actors. And they're like, okay, you're, you're running and screaming and being attacked by a monster. Ah! <laughs> you know, and you right, know, right. so you have the length of all those little Wallace to cut in. and that. But anything over that, you have to consider the footage to, for the animator because the animator works from the length of the scene based on uh, frame count. Now, when, when you're doing this, are you more concerned with the, the length of the actual episode? Or cause I know you guys are fixed, or do you have to, or you just want to get the scene and let the director worry about cutting it scenes later? No, you want it as tight as possible. And uh, there's, uh, there, you want to tell the best story you can. As as it is, you're not worried that much about the length. I mean, if you set up a scene and you want to have a little bit of mood, things happen. You know, you put those in and hope they don't get cut. Some of our old GI Joe stuff, they they had to cut a lot out 
And uh, we were like, oh, wow. <laughs> There's a, a week or two of work. <laughs> but um, it depends. It's all a case-by-case situation. Now, is there a functional difference between doing animated versus when you did it for live-action movies like The Thing or Wrath of Khan? Well, uh, The Thing and Wrath of Khan, I was an, an animator. I did a hand-drawn 2D animation for uh, special effects. And uh, storyboards for live-action, Robocop 3 is one of them. And, uh, yeah, you, you meet with your directors and they walk you through what they have in mind. And I'll be sketching little quick thumbnails while I'm in the uh, meeting and, you know, and, and I'll have an idea and I'll say, Hey, how about this? And, you know, and, and, uh, they'll either go for it or not, or they'll think of something else. And a lot of times the director is very key on what they're calling for what they want to have happen like this on robocop 3 he gets hit by otomo robocop gets hit by otomo and he wanted to have a series of cuts to make it like in back to the future when biff gets hit by mcfly and if you look at it it's actually three scenes cut together so in your opinion, do you prefer working live action? Or do you prefer the uh, animation? I love it all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's not to love? And it's creativity and fun, you know? I love cartoon characters. I love the world that you could do what you want in. And, and uh, the live action work was a blast, too. Now, do you have, but you have more creative freedom in animation? Uh, yeah, you're probably – yeah, you're – you're working work i'm sorry you can cut this part uh yeah you 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 get to express a lot more now when you're doing storyboard artists in both animation and in your live action are you usually the only storyboard artist or you work with a team oh it's a team in animation or in live action you know there's they don't have just one guy doing all of it so how does that be good (laughs) so how does that work i mean how much communication do you have with the other storyboard artists? Do you just take over a scene? Is it done in the same room together? Well, uh, yeah, when I was at Marvel Productions, you know, on staff um, or he, or on Filmation or Warner Brothers, I mean, we could just go meet and talk. Um, uh, sometimes, like at Warner, we would have, a, you know, a story meeting about what the thing's going to be about. and uh, Or there'd be a pitch for Wacko's Witch here with wish <laughs> not witch <laughs> Rocco's wish and tom ruger like walked us through the whole film and uh with randy rogel on the piano while he's working it out and we're really getting a feel for what's going on and uh the, there were times like at uh universal when i was working on exo squad and ghostbusters and a lot of other shows you <laughs> if you have act one then you're you're going to have to communicate as much. However, the the person who follows you will need uh, if if it's a clean cut, it's one thing. But if it's a continuation, you really want to talk about it how to bridge that particular cut. You want to know what your screen direction of your characters, what which way are they going, left to right, and. Um, yeah, you know, and and you you set up a, an action 
sequence that the next person can pay off. Generally, you, you find you want to find a clean cut. Gotcha. Sometimes the act break itself is enough. So, are there times when you've you've been the second or third part of the the storyboard, and you decided there was something wrong with the original with the first part of it? Like, do you go to them and to say, you know, I don't, I'm not liking what I'm seeing. We need to fix this. Do you just go to the director, or is it you guys pretty much uh, incompat you know on the same insimpatico most of the entire process? I would go to the director. I would call and go, hey, you know, I'd like to change this and this. And and it's his job to keep everybody together. The director, he's generally there are three board guys on a show or two. You either split a show in half or you have three people, three acts. <laughs> and um, I would call in or go in to the office, whatever, and I'd you know, you point out, here's why, and this is what I think should happen, and you go ahead and do that. I remember working on Universal at Universal on um, Earthworm Jim, and I kept saying, hey, I got this idea, I got this idea, and they go, oh, great, great, great. And after about a few shows, yeah. they, handed me, they handed me my new script, and they said, Keith, you have carte blanche. You can do what you want. You don't nice. have to call us. <laughs> nice. I mean, yeah. what did that feel like? Yeah, and they just said, we like what you do, just keep doing it. And then I was <laughs> like, yeah! <laughs> so from that point on, did you did your ideas get like more wild and crazy as you went along? Yeah, within reason. I mean, what, you, know, you have to know what the capabilities of the animation studio you're working with. You're not making a live action, or I mean, a, a feature-length movie with a big budget. You're doing TV, you know, animation budget. Gotcha. Now, how much of your personality do you think does end up in the final product of the cartoon? I think every artist has themselves in there at one point or another. It's just, or writer. I mean, it it all comes from, you know, inside you anyways. We're not machines, you know. So when you're doing something a little more like Pinky in the Brain or in a Maniacs, do you feel yourself, like, just feel zanier in that moment? Do you feel different when you're writing something like He-Man or Transformers? Oh, Yeah. You know, you're like, yes, Optimus, what will we do now? We will fight them. Oh, no, <laughs> what about that? Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, I, mean, I, mean, I can just imagine you walking around the in office doing the voices. Well, you know, what's interesting in the office is one of the first things I noticed when I got in is everybody has these tracks from the show for the most part, and you're you, you hear people rewinding, playing the same thing over and over and over because they got to figure out the length of it or they, you know, they're, they're trying to feel out how to act out what you've been given. Is that, is that your favorite part of being a storyboard artist is getting into those characters and being able to, I guess, be them for a certain amount of time? Yeah, that's the ticket. <laughs> yes, yes, it's fun. It's, you know, it's how, it's the fun of creating pop culture you know the same as a comic book person is like you know loving drawing spidey and and all the angst that goes with it and spidey was fun to work on too why is that oh spider-man the animated series yes i really enjoyed working on that are there there some great stories about it that you want to share no nothing i can think of just you know now go ahead no nothing it was fun 
Uh, I don't know what to add. Now, when, when you're at conventions, are you finding that the people coming to you with their kids who are now watching the same shows that they did of yours? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and it's happening here in our house. We got grandkids that are watching all these shows. I got Disney Plus because we have kids over a lot. Right. I want them to see the good stuff. Now, do you tell them before they start watching it that this is something you storyboarded, or do you wait till at, um till afterwards? No, nah, I tell them up front. Tell up front. <laughs> <laughs> what What are their reactions like? Well, they're they're liking it, and they like right now. They're loving Rescue Rangers. Oh, that's a. I used to watch that when I was growing up. That's a fantastic program. Their mom used to watch it when she was growing up, and and now it's like and I just go, yeah, it's what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I I used to love the theme song of, of its opening. Is that something that you do as well, the openings for the storyboard, or is that a different aspect? Well, for Rescue Rangers, the 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 director producer Alan Zasla, he collected a lot of clips from all of our work, so it's representative of our crew. And I uh, I yeah, I've done a few main titles. GI Joe was in. The second season of G.I. Joe, I did the main title for that. The swim with Serpentor and Sergeant Slaughter and all. Nice. And uh, cool. our crew of board artists, three of us were asked to come up with um, main title ideas. And we were left to our own devices. <clears throat> and uh, we each put in our own uh, idea and they went with mine. So That's it was kind of fun to be left alone to come up with something and have it fly. And especially something that turned out to be so iconic. I mean, like I said, 20, 30 years later, people still remember it. Yo, Joe! <laughs> but like I said, I, I, once again, another show I used to watch growing up all the time. That was one of my favorites. <laughs> What's not to fave? Exactly. Now, what question I always had, do you think storyboard artists get the credit that they deserve on these type of programs? Uh... We can always deserve more. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Very good point. I did hear one story about you, and I'm really kind of curious. I, I heard that you used to work, or you have worked with Jack Kirby and, and Gil Kane. So what was that oh, like? Oh, God, that was so fun. Okay, Marvel. I was at Marvel Productions for a lot of years, you know, doing Transformers, Dino Riders, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Well, they kind of imploded. And, uh, and like one, in one day, there were like 350 people that were let go all in one day. Wow. And I just prior to that, I was kind of tipped off that we like you, but if you got somewhere else to go, it might be a good thing to do. And so I, I looked for work and at Ruby Spears and got hired in their development department. And I, and the day I was I was there for a couple of weeks, and uh, then the day that Marvel imploded, the phone was ringing so much that we unplugged it because everybody was looking for work. And uh, but yeah, it was like Gil Kane was there every day. Alfredo Acala was there every day. Kevin O'Terry and a few other people. Tom Minton, who's actually the person that brain was designed to look like and uh, yeah it, but you know what would happen is we would develop these new uh properties new ideas for shows and jack kirby would come in once a week he and Roz would come in with their week's worth of work for us to work on 
So it would be my job to like take some of Jack's stuff and and paint, you know, do paintings, old school paintbrush and color. You know, it's part of being in development. You need to be able to not only do storyboards, but to, you know, draw and paint and you know, do other things to make a presentation for a new cartoon show that may or may not get made. So which one specifically were you on? Oh God. Well, that was just it. There were several. There was a thing called Scanners. I don't know what it was called. Finally, I don't think it ever got made. Some magnificent work. And a lot of different things that I don't even know all the titles. There were things that Jack did, you know, needed to be painted. And then in between these assignments, we would also do some storyboards in the department. So we worked on uh, laser tag, and I can't remember everything. It was a long uh, time. What was Jack Kirby like in person? Was he um, friendly? Was he did he was he more like a mentor? Was he a little hard to get to know? No, he was so nice and friendly, and yeah, yeah, he was a mentor. He he always said, you know, you can work for all these companies, but you need to have something that's your idea. <laughs> you know, he. No, oh, I, I totally get. Go no. ahead. Well, what uh, what kind of so what do they did they teach you anything about the craft itself? Uh, not really. It was I mean we're all in the midst of doing it. Um, you know, Gil would you know say a lot of you know give me a lot of advice and it was wonderful, um, very helpful. And uh, and you know like I said, Jack and Roz would come in once a week, so they would you know it wasn't like I got to work with them day to, day in and day out. Gotcha. But it was just always wonderful to see him and then see what he brought in. I mean, it was just, Jack was amazing. It must have been great to work with such legends. Yeah. I mean, the, the I grew up, the, the, they were my idols growing up. I imagine they were like everybody's idols, <laughs> probably still. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I was reading, you know, in the 60s and 50s, you know, I was reading their stuff then and watched the whole Marvel thing happen and, like, no, wow. no. Was that when you knew you arrived? Like you, you made it as a, you know a successful storyboard artist, or was there another moment that you knew I've done it? Um, I think when we were, I remember being told when we were at Marvel after there were a few of us that had left Filmation, and one of them told me, "Well, you're in the big leagues now." And yeah. <laughs> oh, you actually said that? <laughs> yeah, that's wicked cool. <laughs> And it was. It was way cool. And God, I remember we, we even had Carmine Infantino was there for a little at Marvel Productions. Oh, wow. There for a little while. And I used to not run off to lunch. I'd bring my own lunch and play chess with a lot of the old guys in and, and, uh, and the, the studio itself and really learned a lot from these, these guys that had been in the biz. Uh, Ken Monday. I worked with him um, at, at um, Marvel Productions. Do you remember the Wild Wild West, the main title, the yes. cartoon? Yes. Yeah, he storyboarded and animated that. Oh wow! Uh, I I didn't know that. Yeah, you know, now you do. And knowing <laughs> it's half the battle. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> now, um, I, I did have a question to go back a little bit. How did you get into storyboard arting, storyboard, becoming a storyboard artist to begin with? Sorry. That's easy for you to say. 
<laughs> Apparently not so much. <laughs> well, like I said, I was animating on these films. Conan, the first movie, The Wrath of Khan, and John Carpenter's The Thing. And I was doing all this 2D animation, but my real heart was one, I wanted to be a storyboard guy. And another friend of mine working on The Thing and all these movies as well, Len Morganti, he and I were both in the same camp. We were like, we wanted to be board guys. And uh, he went into boarding in live action. And I went into uh, the cartoons. And I, uh, I, tell me the beginning of the question again. Um, how did you first become a storyboard artist? Okay, cut this in. Okay, oh, I'll give you a cut here. So when I went, took a job in at Filmation under their apprenticeship program, which they taught me on-the-job training to be a storyboard guy, doing it the Filmation stock system way, which is actually very good knowledge to have to be able to create an economical storyboard, meaning that you can create a, a cartoon that can look good and can be done in a budget. You know, you don't call for all these wild things that cost a lot of money and blow the budget in the first five minutes. And you only get seven and a half minutes to board generally in a storyboard. But uh, yeah, I learned a lot about uh, basic storytelling and story points at Filmation to learning it their way. And as I went on to Marvel and got involved in Transformers and Defenders of the Earth and other shows, working with some great pros there. I learned more and more as it went along. Now, so before you became a storyboard artist, you had already started um, done Star Trek Wrath of Khan? Yeah, well, it wasn't that big of a job at first. When I was called in, my friend was, was Len Morganti was working there. And he knew what I could do. And uh, they basically just needed some bodies to do, finish off some of the cells, paint the cells for, you know, these effects to help get the work done. And I was out of work. So it was like, hey, come on in, Keith. So but while I was there, they, you know, I, I made clear what I could do. And they, they moved me to the animation and... Uh, I was doing some of my own mess animation then on Conan. After being an assistant, I became a, I did full animation on my own on Conan. Then after that, went to Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and I did the base animation for all the transporter scenes, all the transporter scenes in the film, animated um, uh, the, the, warp effects after the Genesis, Genesis bomb exploded by hand, the last two warp effects. And I even said to uh, Peter Coran, who's, it was his studio, and he's an old Star Wars guy who started his own animation effects studio. And I said, you know, a computer could do this a whole lot easier. And he pointed to me and says, yes, but you're cheaper than a computer. <laughs> that must have, that must have made you feel good. Well, I just did the job, you know. It was like, okay, great, all right, we'll do this, and and uh, 
And then we worked on, you know, the thing. And I, you know, was on my own animating the rocket trail, helping the practical effects in the title. So just for clarification, for people like me who who really have no experience in the business at all, when you talk about the base animation for Star Trek, like you said, the teleporter sequences and Genesis. So you're saying that was all animated and you and that was drawn? I actually didn't. Well, I didn't do Genesis. The Genesis of the Genesis thing was computer graphics done. It was I think that was one of Pixar's first things. Oh wow! That got them started. But no, I. After the Genesis bomb exploded, there were two warp effects of the the Enterprise running away. Run away! Uh, run away. <laughs> oh, I, I, I did not know that was animated. See, I really have no idea how they do these special effects. I'm totally uh, done by hand. And uh, also did a couple of laser blasts onto the on the Reliant and uh, enhanced one explosion where I matted out part of the Reliance, that square thing that had an arc off of it, and so that we can enhance the explosion a little bit. That's incredible. I had no idea that's how they did those special effects. I mean, nowadays you just assume it's all computer, but I had no idea how it was done back in time. Yeah, well, that was the other thing. It was like computers were coming in, and you know what we were doing then, you know, hand-drawn animation, um, was on its way out. You know, we make these three different cells and uh, they the, with blacked out areas. And those would be sandwiched between plexiglass with a light below them. And then the, and he would shoot it. Um, on the demon sequence for Conan, they had Vaseline on the lens. Oh, wow. Okay. Vaseline on the lips? On the lens. Oh, the limb. Okay, I thought you oh, said the lips. Camera, the camera shooting. Gotcha. And you have bottom lit effects coming, uh, they're using an Oxbury camera. And there are bottom lit effects coming up. And, you know, the lens on the camera is aiming down. And there was Vaseline on the lens to give it a more ghostly effect. And that was the other thing, you know, we'd animate it, we'd paint the cells, and I would even shoot it. Oh, I did not know any of that. That sounds just really cool. And then Peter Corrin would then take all those elements and do even more. You know, he, that's when he would do his magic. He knew how to, he, he was known as the Lord of Light for all the stuff he did on the original Star Wars movies. And, yeah. Yeah, just look him up, Peter Corrin. You'll be blown away. <laughs> I'll definitely look him up right after the show. But that's that's really awesome, though. I mean, you definitely were intricate to a lot of these movies that, once again, I did not know. I did not think about the people who were involved in those areas like that. Well, I'm, I'm not that intricate, but a little. A tiny bit. Uh, that is very cool. Now, nowadays, with computers, um, they can do so much on them. Is that affecting the hand-drawn um, storyboarding, or is it all? Is it mostly computers now, or is it no change? Well, it depends who you're working with. And, you know, live action, a lot of, some people still want, you know, paper in their hands and all. It's a lot of times uh, they're in animation now, you have to work in Toon Boom, or no, Storyboard Pro by Toon Boom. And so you draw it all on a Cintiq tab or whatever tablet. And, uh, but I'm, I'm basically retired. I just do, uh, my own work 
my own art and do a lot of shows. Do, uh, do you have upcoming conventions that you want to um, plug? Oh, sure. Uh, C2E2 in Chicago. We'll be there next week. I'll be sharing a booth with Samantha, Samantha Newark. She's She was the voice of Jim and from Jim and the Holograms. Another oh, show I, I worked on. Uh, so we we thought it'd be fun if we split a booth together. And then out, uh, a week after that, it's Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle. Oh, very cool. Is there any chance you're going to be coming to um, New England? Well, we'll be co- I, not that I know of, but we'll get close. We'll be at New York Comic Con. My wife and I will be there. Well, I, th- I think I mentioned on your Facebook page, if you could ever get to Trificon, please find a way. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'll send them uh, my thing and hope that they invite me. That that would be incredible. Like I said, I would love to, to get some an autograph from you <laughs> at one of these conventions. I'm from Rhode Island. Well, whoever knows of the people at Terrific Comic Con, tell them they should get Keith Tucker to come visit. I think that's Mitch Halleck, I think is the guy. I'll give him a shout out here, so maybe he'll uh, pay attention and do it. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Now, if you don't mind, can I talk to you about some of the specific cartoons that you worked on? Sure. Okay, so one of the first I want to talk about is He-Man, which was one of the first cartoons I used to watch growing up. Um, I was watching The Toys That Made Us, uh, which was right. on Netflix, and it, they looked like it was a very like ad-libbed um, the process in which they put together a universe. Now, how much say did you have in how it looked, including the look of Eternia? Uh, none. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm in the storyboard department. We're, we're, we're creating, we're taking the elements that they give us, which are the backgrounds, uh, the props are all pretty much drawn, or some are pulled off of the storyboard. Some of the backgrounds are might be pulled off the storyboard. But the main characters and the general look of the world, uh, you know, what Skeletor's, you know, digs look like or what Eternia looks like are all designed early on before the show goes in actually into production. That's part of the development process, like what I did at Ruby Spears. But So did the making of the cartoon, was, did that feel different than apparently the making of the toys where it seemed very, like a very chaotic process. Was the series a little more controlled and organized, at least your part? Yeah. But, well, by the time I came in, it was uh, the machine was moving. And I was there when we were developing Shira. And, uh, but it was, you know, you, you talk about it. And you, you say, okay, well, then what does this world look like? And, and we have these meetings with everybody. And then each person from the meeting that, that we goes to their department the background people go to their department. The guys that draw it aren't necessarily the same people that paint it. The painters set the colored palette for the show, and the characters are designed. You know, and the worlds are designed. By the time things go to storyboard, most of that development work has to have already been done. But there are shows where we went into production without enough development. <laughs> So, uh, so what was that like? Uh, you roll with the punches. You just get it done. Okay, that makes good sense. What happens to these storyboards that you finish? Are they kept, thrown away? What happened when the show's all done? What happens to them? I have no idea. Uh, other than at Marvel, 
I was told they had a big bonfire. Holy, oh crap, they destroyed them? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> Tell me about it. I would have liked to have kept them. You, don't get, you never get to keep any of your storyboards? Nope. Nope, not unless you just sort of, you, you got Xeroxes, but you don't keep, I, I occasionally kept things that if I had to redraw, you know, if there was a retake. I would redraw, had to redraw a scene, and rather than throw that piece of paper away, I'd take it home. When I was a line producer, a supervised a director kind of guy on uh, Conan, the adventurer, we did 65 half hours, and the the most of them were done in France, but they needed a separate unit to do 13 episodes, so I was uh, one of the heads for those 13 actually i was the head for those 13 and I, I i saw the original main title storyboard that will minio had done for conan back at marvel and i got permission to give it back to will which was nice you know so sometimes you know like i hope will get his back yeah so you've never been tempted just to swipe some storyboards for yourself or have you and you're just not going to share <laughs> You get, the storyboard is the, you, they want the original to make copies on the Xerox machine and if you take it down a generation then the copies that are, are created are not going to be as good so they want the original so you really can't do that you can slip oh, a page or two out so once everything's all done yeah, that, that's just oh, that, that kind of breaks my heart a little bit. I think that of them getting destroyed. <laughs> Tell me about it. They even burned cells. That wasn't good for the atmosphere either. Why? Why were they burning the cells as well? Because they took out space. Oh, but now, nowadays I assume they sell most some of those. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know what it makes me think about is that movie Logan's Run with the robot that his job was to freeze everything. Yeah. And he would freeze even the people trying to get out. <laughs> that's funny. That's my job. Oh, <laughs> uh, that that oh, that's so awful. That 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 breaks my heart so much. <laughs> well, get over it. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, over. I'll, I'll do my best. Anyways, so uh, moving up a little bit to Animanage picking the brain. Those are some very crazy zany episodes. How do you get yourself in that mindset to kind of express that? Uh I'm 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 there quite often. <laughs> You're, is, that, is that your your normal? You would say you're more. So if you had to guess where your characters you're closest to, would you say then Pinky and the Brain and the Animaniacs, or you're going with like He-Man and Transformers? I'll go with the uh, the Animaniacs. Animaniac, <laughs> totally insane. <laughs> now, did you always know these cartoons were going to become such hits, or did you have any idea when you're doing the process of them? No, we have no idea. You know, it's, you know, we had no idea. So each one, so each success was a surprise to you? You didn't, you, know, you didn't feel like maybe this one definitely has lasting power? There's something special about it? Oh, yeah, there were a few. Definitely DuckTales and Rescue Rangers and Tailspin and Transformer. All right, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, there were some that, that, that nobody has heard of that even to this day. Now, what happens with those? I mean, did you have you ever worked on a series that have it not go to to air to network? And what happens to to those series? 
they just get buried. <laughs> They're gone. Can, Who knows? Uh, can you name I it? I move on. Yeah, it's, you know, what do you do? <laughs> do you remember any of the names of the ones that maybe that happened to? No, not exactly. There weren't many. You know, gotcha. The studios didn't like to make waste money. You know? Now, which series was your favorite to work on? Pinky and the Brain, followed by Animaniacs. Why is that? There, there, I, I had the most fun working on it. It was a highlight of my career. That's, like I said, I remember watching the show, and I, I loved Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs so much. They, they were, especially the uh, map, at the one when he goes through the, all the countries on the map. That was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's just priceless. What, was that one of the ones you storyboarded? No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I love it, but what does it mean? <laughs> that's okay. But like I said, all the episodes were just such classic, and they, were, and they had just humor that worked on so many different levels. Was that a question? No, I'm just pointing it out that I just thought the humor worked on a lot of different levels, that's all. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, Spielberg had a criteria with the, these are all co-produced with with Steven Spielberg and he wanted it to appeal to adults and kids simultaneously the same way the old Looney Tunes cartoons appealed to adults and kids at the same time. And those were because they aired in a theater. We used to get cartoons before a movie and um, the, um, you know, so it had to, uh, you know, have something for the adults and kids at the same time. And that was what he wanted. Now, did you get to meet Steven Spielberg? Uh, once uh, or twice, maybe. I I was working at Amblin um, on Family Dog, the the series, not the Amazing Stories one. And uh, we were on the lot for a little while, but he was always off in, you know, somewhere else. We would have our meetings in his office until they moved us to... Um, uh, an office building nearby but it was quite interesting kind of fun working on the lot making cartoons oh because you got to meet so many different people or oh it's just all the history you know of uh, you know what film studio lots and i've always been fascinated by them i remember when i was a kid i had a stepfather who was a stuntman on bonanza and a lot of those westerns at the time and i could ride my bike after school and and go hang out at the cbs lot they just oh hi keith come on in oh that's cool so it's kind of you know that was in california back in the early you know fifth late 50s 60s and now one of the, the one thing i thought i saw that was really cool is that you're an emmy winner well the the uh, pinky and the brain we got an emmy for that and tettenstein if anybody oh. hasn't seen Tuttenstein, it's a great show. I, I and, used to watch it. And what's really interesting about watching that show, that I didn't realize that I was getting a, a history, an education about Egyptology. So you can cut out some of my hemming and hawing there, please. Um, oh, but <laughs> I went to an exhibit, an Egyptian exhibit, after I'd been working on the show. And I thought it'd be fun to go check it out. And um, everything was there. I mean, it's all based on actual historical characters. So that's cool. What they do and what their thing is was accurate. 
So you can watch the show and learn about Egyptology simultaneously. Oh, that's that's awesome. That's extremely educational. At least I didn't know that when I used to watch the show. I think I just absorbed it and probably didn't even realize I was learning something. <laughs> uh, me too. I mean, I knew some cursory stuff, but I didn't know these particular gods and villain gods and stuff. Didn't know anything about him. <laughs> and then I go to this museum and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> You're an expert now. <laughs> That's awesome. But like I said, it must have just been incredible to know, you know, that you have this Emmy. Did you feel was that validating that you earned it, or did you already know, you know, you're, you're you've made it? You're you already knew you're, you know you're going to be a legend in storyboard art. Well, I don't know about this legend talk, but I I knew I was a pro, and I have been doing it for decades, and and continue to do it. So. Now, yeah. what, what kind of advice would you have for the next storyboard artist in the future who wants to do what you do? Study film. Look at how the story is told. You know, don't just look at, okay, be entertained. Okay, do a one, walk it, walk yourself through it once, and then go back and look <laughs> and see how they told the story, how they drew your attention to some prop or some doorknob that was going to open and or you, you you get the establishing shot and you go, oh, you see them go past something that later they have to run past later. And how you get these story points so that everything flows so you can watch it and not go as an audience member going, what's going on here? What? Where am I? Gotcha. So you actually know the logistics of where things are set up within your screen direction. I've had directors tell me, yeah, Keith always knows where everybody's at, you know, and that's what you do. You make a graph and you know this person's here, that person's there, and or this thing is over here, and they got to get to that. But first they have to do this, and you you, you familiarize your audience with, with key things that you want them, and then surprise them when necessary uh, that sounds i didn't know you it sounds like you'd be a very organized person to be a storyboard or something you have to be very in control of what you're doing be very diligent in the details i won't even have thought about that well they are the nuts and bolts of telling a story and uh you you have to keep track of you know what characters are going you know generally the good guys are are heading left to right and the bad guys are heading right to left now, but that's the overall, I don't mean to cut you off, but that's the overall uh, screen direction. But within your story, you'll still have a changeover where people have to go one direction or the other. Now, while you're when you're watching projects that you're not a part of, let's say just you're either animation that your kids, uh, grandkids are watching, do you find yourself picking it apart for a storyboard or do you, can you just sit back and just enjoy the um, program? Uh, I pick it apart and enjoy it simultaneous. Oh, nice. <laughs> you know, I just, or, or if I see a director's like doing nice stuff, I just go, that really works. You know, that I, I notice in The Mandalorian that there's some solid old school storytelling. And it's a small wonder that it's such a, a hit, probably because of that small wonder on the show. Yeah. <laughs> now do you ever find yourself just like oh come on just let, let me do it I'm like jump in so let me just fix it for you guys after you see something that doesn't you can tell it doesn't work 
from that uh, storyboard standpoint? Do you ever feel any just like jump in and be like, guys, let me do it? Like, is it like tempting? No, I mean it's all done by then. You know, if you want to fix something, you you know you're talking about a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> there's budgetary concerns, you know. Right, right, right. Now, when you're talking about the budget of an an of, of an animated episode, it when you're saying something is more expensive in a you know uh, cartoon, what is making it more expensive? When you're saying you put this detail and not have that detail because it's going to make it more ex- too expensive, what kind of things are you talking about? Well. You could have a room full of Joes, is like we used to refer to it, and then they have to, if they want not to just be a held cell, you got a whole bunch of G.I. Joe characters, and, and this one's doing this, and that one's doing that. How many more characters are doing this and that in a scene? That's one part of it. You know, there'd be a lot of overseas people going, do we really need this many characters in that scene? So... So is it like a time thing or amount of people you need to do the artwork? Well, it's 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 all the above. I mean, you got to if you call for something too outrageous and ambitious, then you're asking for it may not get done in time for air dates, and you you have to hit your air dates. Uh, the networks would fine you if you didn't meet the air dates. Fine you uh, specifically or the program studio the studio yeah oh, they're wow. supposed to deliver a program for an air date and uh you know so you got to work within a budget and make it so it's producible it's not necessarily we're not making an animated feature film we're making a, an animated cartoon show warner brothers in the 90s poured and disney both we're pouring a lot more money into shows and that blurred the, uh, the line between animation and TV. <clears throat> so, you know, that always got squashed with the telecommunication act in 1996 when the studios were then allowed to buy their own network or vice versa, a network of buy their own studio. And, uh, once Disney could take, you know, ABC off the map and uh, other studios, you know, or networks were different, you know, the WB or whatever, then they didn't have to compete to get a show on network TV. So they very soon after that happened, the budgets got cut. Gotcha. Well, that's weird. A lot of people say, what happened to cartoons today? And I tell them, that, you know, it's budgets. Gotcha. <laughs> is it, that's why there's less details maybe in the background, something of that nature? Or less characters in the scene, less fluid animation. You're not doing uh, a lot of three-quarter animation, which is what we did. Three-quarter at camera, three-quarter away from camera. That kind of animation is, is more expensive in 2D. You know, uh, now, you know, it's simpler animation. It's too simple. No, I, I got you. I, I've, I've had you on for a little bit, but I do want to talk about just one last thing before I let you go. I know, yeah. you, said I know you said you're retired, but you said you're also doing some of your own artwork. What is that artwork for? I, you know, prints, stuff that I create my for myself um, that I, I sell and sign uh, for people at, show, at shows. And 
so, so have you ever been tempted on doing something your um, like an original comic book or TV show or something that you're complete that's completely yours? Yeah, but I am working on a few side projects that I can't talk about yet, and uh, I did do some work on some a couple of friends' small films, things that I could do 2D. Now. I know you said you can't talk, you don't want to talk about the project. Can you t- at least talk about what kind of projects they are? Are they, you know, are they sh- animation? Is it comic book? Is it movie? Comic book. Comic book. Very cool. Yeah. It's uh, some stuff that I've been working on for quite a while. It's a timeless uh, nature. and um, So, yeah. No. Uh, but as far as, it's a lot of work to prepare a cartoon idea and, a lot, you know, a lot of development. It's kind of like, what people go through to try and sell a syndicated cartoon. I mean, you have to have so much developed and plotted and figured out. And I'm, I'm liking what I'm doing now, rather. Now, the comic book that you're working on, are you the writer and artist? Or are you doing simply the art or the writing? Uh, there are two of them. And one, I'm adapting someone else's script. And uh, the other one I'm doing, I'm like... That's very cool. It must, that sounds that must be wicked exciting. Well, thank you. And hopefully, I'll get it done one of these years. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, once it's ready for publication, you, I would let you let me know. I'd love to talk to you about it. Oh, appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, it's totally my pleasure. I would love to see what you do with it. Sweetly. <laughs> now, um, I'm gonna let you go in just a minute. Um, but but if you can do the intro, I mean, the promo for us, that'd be fantastic. I'll just let you know what to say. This is Keith Tucker, and you are listening to Spoiler Country. You got it. I know what you're doing. This is Keith Tucker, and you are listening to Spoiler Cut. Thank you so much, uh, Keith. I really do appreciate the interview. You were fantastic. You got it. We got a one-take wonder there? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, no, you, did, you were phenomenal. I'll do a little bit of editing, mostly when the dog started barking, but beyond that, it was fantastic. <laughs> hey, your mic didn't die. I, I was, I, well, yeah, I was actually surprised by that. This actually was fortuitous for me. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'll let you I'll let you know as soon as this goes live. I'll send you a link. And like I said, thank you for being awesome, and thank you for creating my childhood. <laughs> I am one of them. It takes a village to create an animated cartoon. Well, for this time, I'm giving you full credit for the moment. <laughs> yeah. But- With a brand new outro for you. <laughs> so you know what's funny about Keith Tucker? What's that? So I've talked to him, God, so many times at shows. I mean, he oh, has, really? He has no idea who I am, right? But I, I talk to him all the time because he's so nice. I mean, Ken and I walk up. We've actually talked to him about coming on the show multiple times over the last three years. Whenever I see him at a at a, at a convention, I go yeah. talk to him. And I'm like, hey, man, I'd love to have you on the podcast. I give him a card or he gives me a card. And then we just never follow through. But Jeff follows through. So <laughs> Yeah, Jeff's a follow how do you say this? A follow thrower? He's a follow thrower. He's, he's a through follower. <laughs> he's a through follower. Whichever. Through <laughs> follower. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, we're having too much fun. Yeah, you know he sticks to it and and and, and follows through. <laughs> right, right. I mean, seriously, if we didn't have Jeff, we wouldn't have most of the interviews we have on this show. Oh man, this this is this is true. It's not sad. It's, it's awesome because he's awesome. a good guy. It's it? awesome. I love having Jeff yeah. being part of the spoiler country. So there you go. Hey, 
so what'd you think of, of, of the interview though? What'd you think of Keith and all his stories and everything that, that went on during that time? Oh, I loved it. I mean, I love hearing, I love hearing the stories. I love hearing the the journey people have across their career and, and, and the passion they have behind what they do. I just, it's one of the best yeah. things in the world. Yeah. I think it's kind of funny when they talked about He-Man and they're just saying they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they didn't have anything planned out. They were just, it was Everything was on the fly. <laughs> right, right. Which is kind of like what they talked about in the um, the Toys That Made Us show. They didn't know what they were doing. They were just made on the fly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, me too. Well, there you guys go. Another legendary person coming on the show, talking about what they, how they got to where they were, where they're at, and all the stuff in between. It's always fun, always amazing to hear these stories come to life. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Right, and I hope you come back for more because we got some some new ones lined up for you that are going to blow your socks off. Yeah, yeah, we got a lot coming down the pike. It's it's kind of crazy. If you like those styles and interviews, and you want to hear more, please, please, I implore you, go back into our back catalog on spoilerverse.com and check out all the stuff we have to offer. We have, you know, we got T-shirts and mugs and stickers up there. We have interviews with the likes of Jerry Conway and Eric Larson, and Emmy Swallow, who was on The Mandalorian. She plays the armor on The Mandalorian. That was flipping rad to have her on. Uh, we've had... Oh, and she played Amara on Supernatural. Hello. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we had, we've had Corn Nemec from Parker Lewis Can't Lose and Stargate Atlantis, who is coming back. And Supernatural. Do, and Supernatural. And he's coming back to do more about Stargate Atlantis and his role. And we're going to do a deep dive. Yep. On his time at Stargate, which is going to be awesome. Yep. And, you know, Robert Wool. <laughs> yeah. And Robert Wool. Wireless. Knox on Batman. I mean, yeah. just, <laughs> he's so rad. I can't believe he was on. And he's going to come back and we're going to do a deep dive on Arliss. Yeah. I'm, I'm, cur- I'm currently watching Arliss so I can, I can be a part of that. Oh, so I love that show. Yeah. It's I funny. I absolutely love that show. I, I was living with my buddy Brandon. He only got HBO on dish network or dish it was a satellite yeah provider only so we could watch our list that's hilarious you know and yeah oh i love that show yeah anyways yeah anyway there's tons of stuff there and we have all these articles right so many articles man i mean these articles on reviews of new comics and movies and shows that are out we got articles on old comics that have come out before we've got articles talking about um you know uh, the supernatural stuff with the K files. We got the roaches Den talking about all of whatever makes Jay tick, which you'll find is a curmudgeon series of awesomeness. We I have, like to think of him as our version of American Splendor. Pretty, pretty much, pretty much. And we've got, I mean, really all said and done, we've got you know at least a dozen podcasts on the way on the website you can listen to of various flavors of not just all geeky stuff. You know, there's some non. I mean, it's mostly all geeky, but there's some non geeky stuff in there just for like. For the fun stuff you want to do, there's new ones coming out. Seems like monthly right now, but new ones coming out that we're working on, and it, it's it's really it's it's if you're not a part of the spoilerverse, you're not checking it out. You're really missing out on a lot of good content. That's yep. that's yep. free and not behind a paywall. That's right. And right now is a perfect time to do it. Yep. So check it out. And give us a review. Give us a review. Give us a comment on the website. Give us a share. Give us a buy, buy a t-shirt from the web from the store and, and, and show us your love. There you go. All right, guys, in the oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. And the Cthulhu demands open the mind and read more. <laughs>